Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to Fellowship the Rockies, and I am so thankful that you are joining us online uh, wherever that is and whenever that is. Uh, God bless you guys. I love you. I'm praying for you. And so we're walking through the book of 2 Corinthians. We're in this series. fact is, we've called it 2 Corinthians. And we're just journeying through this book verse by verse and, and line by line. And we're taking all that there is to, to glean out of this book and apply it to our situation. And I don't think there's a better book of the Bible to journey through, to preach through in the seasons and the time in which we live than 2 Corinthians because it just has a lot to speak into our culture and our situation. This weekend, I've entitled the message just Finding Peace. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you need to click to, turn to. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. We're only looking at five verses this weekend. And, uh, and then if you don't have a Bible electronic device, that's, that's okay. The, 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 the verses are going to come up on your screen as, as, as I read them. And so I want to talk to you about this issue of finding peace because there's a lot of people that will tell you that the way that you find peace is in perfect circumstances, uh, perfect situations. There's a lot of people that believe that, right? There's a lot of people that teach that. Fact is, in 1991... You may have remembered this Texas billionaire by the name of Ed Bass that he developed a biosphere, a, a glass-sealed uh, dome that they put in Arizona in perfect conditions and perfect situations. And so they called it the biosphere too. And so he built this, this dome. They put it in Arizona. It was a glass-sealed world, and they put, um, they put eight scientists from seven different countries around the world in there to create a perfect place. They wanted to see if they could replicate Earth's environment in an artificial way in this glass biosphere. In the glass biosphere, it had oxygen, it had insects, it had fish, it had soil, it had dirt. It even had a rainforest for growing food. Uh, it, had, it had an artificial ocean with like this wave machine. And the scientists were excited because initially what they saw was when they planted the plants and they planted the trees, the plants and the trees started growing faster in the biosphere too than it did in, in the world where there wasn't perfect situations and conditions. But what happened? As these plants and trees began to grow, that, that, that they began to fall and crater before they could get to the place that they matured or they could reproduce. And so what these scientists found is the absence of wind in the glass dome could not produce plants or trees strong enough to mature and to develop. In other words, the wood was too weak to reproduce. They found that strong headwinds were necessary to, to produce strong enough trees. And so we're facing, right, we're facing some strong headwinds in the world in which we live but the Bible teaches us, guess what? Strong headwinds produce strong Christians, produce strong churches. As some good comes out of that. Because when you're going through and when you're facing strong headwinds in your life, you're no longer following God because it feels good. You're no longer following God because everything's going your way. You are following God because you truly trust him. You are following God out of obedience to him. And there's something that happens in that moment. There's something that happens in that moment where there's this deepening in life. And yes, when you face strong headwinds in life, just like Paul, we're going to look at it. God can, God can seem distance to you. External events can begin like hurting your family and dealing with some things. And, 
And you want life, and I want life to feel good, right? I want life to be free from stress. You probably want life to be free from stress. A lot of times I do things that promote pleasure, uh, plans that I make, whether it's plans with Karen, whether it's plans with my kids or my grandkids or or, or hobbies or where I live or friends. I want to do things that that promote pleasure. I I don't want stress. I don't want stress in life. I don't want traffic on I-25. I don't want to have to deal with some of the things that we have to deal with. And if there's ever been a time in our life, in our culture, in our time, when we need the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, it is now. And here's what's interesting. Paul starts off this group of passages, group of scriptures that we're going to look at today. And he made this statement. He said, my spirit was not at rest. You know what that means? He's really saying this. I have no peace of mind. Paul was honest. Paul was honest when he was facing some, stre- some, some strong headwinds. He was saying, you know what? Right now, I'm struggling with peace of mind. This passage speaks into our lives. It speaks into us about how do you find pe- peace when you face these strong headwinds of life? How do you find that peace? Where do you find that peace? Because, see, Paul was a hero of, of our faith, but yet he was transparent enough to admit that right now I'm struggling with peace. I'm struggling with peace of mind. So I want to give you four things as we just walk through these five verses together about this issue of finding peace in your life. These principles are very important to me. They're, hopefully they're important to you and you're able to apply them to your life. The first thing is this. If you're going to find peace in your life, identify what is causing you anxiety in your life and then be willing to address it. Just identify what is causing anxiety in your life, where that stress point is coming from, where that strong headwind is coming from. Identify what is causing anxiety in your life, and then just don't identify it, but be willing to address it. Be willing to do something about it. So here we go, verse 12, uh, chapter 2, 2 Corinthians. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord. So this is interesting. Paul is saying, professionally, everything is going my way. Professionally, it is awesome professionally, it is successful right now. My ministry is successful. It's so fascinating. And then he goes, verse 13, my spirit is not at rest. In other words, I have no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So there's some relational stuff going on. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. And Paul is, is, is in Troas, and he went to Troas to preach. He knew that God had opened up a door of ministry for him. It is successful. The ministry is going his way. It's going great. People are coming to Christ. It's successful. And yet Paul says, I have no peace of mind. My spirit is not at rest within me. You know what that says to me, and hopefully that says to you? You can be successful in your career, in your profession, in your job, and you still have no peace of mind. Success. I know it goes against American culture. It goes against what we're taught. Success does not guarantee peace in your life. Success does not guarantee peace. And Paul left because he expected Titus to meet him there, and Titus wasn't there. And See, Paul was waiting to hear a report from Titus concerning the the Corinthian church. If if you've been following us, you know that Paul had sent them. He sent them a really harsh letter. 
and he was telling them some things needed to change. So, so he sent them this harsh letter, and, and they get this letter, they read this letter, and then you know what they do? They start accusing Paul of being harsh, and they felt his emails were, were harsh and without grace, and his text messages, social media posts uh, were, were really, really harsh. But in person, he, they felt he was a different person. In letter, they felt he was harsh. In person, they felt he was a little bit more humble. He was a little bit more grace-filled. And so they're accusing him. They're accusing him of being harsh in his correspondence. And so I find that true in life, and maybe you find that true as well. There's sometimes we have a tendency to be a little bit harsher in an email that we send, a text message that we send, a social media post that we make then we probably would be if we saw that person face-to-face. And we could see how it affected them. We see the hurt and the pain. You see, a lot of times in life, when we're once removed from an individual, we become more bold. Whether we're once removed by a car, whether we're once removed by a keyboard, that all of a sudden we become a little bit more bold. I mean, in traffic, you can be like once removed in a, in, in a car from another individual, and they cut you off, and so you can get mad, and you can like yell at them, like, what are you doing? And, and you can complain about them, and you, 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 may not, you may not say that in person. I mean, could you imagine what Walmart would be like if we acted like that in Walmart when we're like pushing our, our cart and someone cuts us off? We're like, what are you doing? Who taught you to push a cart? You're going the wrong way. This is the passing lane. Get out of my lane. And all of us, so we take that cart, and we go in, and we cut them off, so we show them who's boss. Can you imagine what life would be like? Can we imagine what life would be like if we, when we saw someone face-to-face, we said some of the same things that we said on social media in our social media post? See, this is what is happening. The church is accusing Paul. Said, we, we think you're being a little bit too harsh with the emails or the text messages that you're sending us. And, and Paul, on the other hand, Paul is anxious. He's anxious because he sent this harsh letter to them, and he's wondering what it what are they thinking? What are they feeling? What is their response going to be? The Corinthian church was having serious problems. And, and Paul was, listen, Paul was trying to correct them from a distance. And when Titus didn't arrive with the report, Paul was so restless, he, he couldn't stand it. His spirit was not at rest in him. He had no peace. So he moved on to Macedonia. You know why he moved on to Macedonia? He's doing everything he can to get information. He's getting every, doing everything he can to hear how they're doing. Man, have you, have you ever tried, and I don't recommend it, but have you ever tried to confront someone over a text message or an email, and you sent them that email, that text message, and you're trying to correct behavior in the life, you're talking to them about something really serious, and, and all of a sudden you're like anxious about their response? How are they going to respond? If you're an iPhone user and you're sending a text message to another iPhone user, then, then we know as iPhone users that when you send a text, and they, that if you're anxious about their reply, then you start staring at your, 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 your iPhone and you start waiting for the bubbles to appear. Because when the bubbles appear, you know, guess what? They're typing a response. And you're wondering. And, and if you don't see the bubbles appear, appear then you're wondering, are they going to respond? Are they mad? Are they cutting me off? Are they ignoring me? What's going on? And then all of a sudden, you see the bubbles start appearing. And you're wondering what their response is going to be. How they're going to respond to that? Are they going to change? Are they going to hate you? Are they never going to talk to you again? What is their response going to be? See, this, this, is, this is what Paul's going through. But it's not in a time of high tech. It's a time in letters, and it took times for letters to come back and forth. It took time to get information. And Paul is dealing with anxiety. He's waiting for an answer. 
He wants to know how they're responding. And the piece that Paul is talking about is this issue of relief from anxiety. It, it's not really in Paul's life. It's not really internal peace. It's external peace. And Paul was open about his anxiety in this letter to them. He was conveying to them how devastating his conflict was with the Corinthian church. He was trying to convey to them how much he loved them, deeply cared for them, how he was burdened for them, how he's wanting to know how they would respond. Paul was worried since Titus hadn't showed up yet. Uh, what, 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 what would the result be? He wasn't getting an answer. Can, can, can you relate to this? When you've sent someone an email, you sent someone a text message, you've called someone and they, they haven't called you back, they haven't replied to your email, they haven't replied to your text message, and, and you, think, you think the worst, right? And you, just think, you think this is going to go south. This is Paul. It distracted him so much that it distracted him from what God had called him to do. What God had called him to do in Troas. And the results, he moves on to Macedonia. And later he writes, I mean, it's not till 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to look at the verse, that Paul gets an answer. And so it's, it's so fascinating, but it says, But God, who confronts the downcast, comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So this is when he gets the answer. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with, with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still the more. So he got a good response. He got a, but listen, it wasn't until five chapters later. Paul's anxiety was just temporary. And it was quickly recovered. His peace of mind, his, his, his peace was quickly recovered when he got an answer from them. So the first thing is this in your life, if you're going to find peace, is identify what is causing anxiety in your life and being willing to address it. The second thing is this, it's just equally important, stop complaining and start praising God for what he has done. Man, come to this place to where you and I just quit complaining, stop complaining, and start praising God for what he has done. And what he is doing. See, before Paul, see, this is still 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This isn't chapter 7. We read ahead so that we understood the answer to the text message, the email, the letter that he sent. Paul still doesn't know at this point. And I want you to see this because it's so important. This is before he knew how things were going to turn out. This is before he knew how the Corinthian church was going to respond. And Paul changed his focus. He changed his focus to, to worship he changed his focus to thanking God for the things that he had done. I mean, this is something. Worship is something. Listen, worship is something that you have to do. And so, so verse, verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, But thanks be to God. Here's my anxiety. I'm struggling with peace. Things aren't going well. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads in a triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So all of a sudden, Paul begins to celebrate and says, thank God, the gospel is spreading. People are accepting Christ. He's reflecting with this attitude of worship. Paul is coming to this place, but thanks to the God, thanks to, but, but thanks be to God. Paul is coming to this place. He says, but here are the things I'm thankful for. He's entering into this 
portion of worship. He is worshiping God. He's not focusing on the anxiety. He's not focusing on the, the strong headwinds. He is, he is praising God. He is thanking God for what God has done. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul writes about this more. And he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. This is so important will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. In other words, God will put a garrison. God will put Roman guards around your heart and will protect your heart. This is the word. I mean, you see this is a word for thanksgiving. Listen, I've learned this in my life, and maybe you've learned this in your life. When you complain about your problems, you and I increase our stress. We increase our anxiety. We magnify those problems. But when, when, when we praise God for, for his goodness, his provisions, his care, all of a sudden it increases. It increases our, it increases our peace. It guards our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Most of us, listen, most of us, we're not careful, especially in this culture, especially in this time, we can just be constant complainers. Even, listen, even when our circumstances are, are good, like Paul, and we think, listen, some people think about this issue of, of criticism and complaining, that we think it's a mark of sophistication to be critical or complaining, but in, real, in reality, when you look at Scripture, it is the mark of spiritual immaturity. We think, listen, we think complaining is harmless. But in real, reality, it destroys our peace. It destroys our spirit will not be at rest. And Paul writes again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, he says, Do all things, this is an imperative, this is a command. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. I really believe one of the most important steps in developing inner peace is for us to move from complaining to praising. You want to you stand out in this generation? Quit complaining. Do everything. Do everything without complaining. I mean, maybe this is something we need to read aloud. Maybe if you're watching with a family or, or, or some friends or one, some, maybe you need to say it to loud. Uh, do everything. Just to remind yourself, do everything without complaining. And as you catch yourself griping, complaining, criticizing, learn to stop it. Listen, if, if, if you've been doing it for so long, you don't even know when you're doing it, then ask someone in your family to help you to point it out. They'll probably be happy to. They would probably love to help you. But don't, do not excuse this away. Do not see, well, this is just my nature. Uh, this is just how I live life. Um, I don't mean anything by it. It's not harmless. It is harmless. It is harmless to you. And it's harmless to the people around you because it, it destroys, for you, it destroys your peace. Complaining, what Paul says, destroys your peace of mind and, and hurts the relationships around you. So move to this place to start praising God. Find something in your life that God is doing to be thankful. This is what Paul did. This is what Paul did before he heard the answer. He heard how they responded to the letter. Because even in this time, even when we're facing the strong headwinds that we're facing, there are still things that we can be thankful for. If you complain that you have to get up in the morning, just be thankful that you have a job. If you complain that you have to work from home and it's difficult and it's isolating, just be thankful that you have a job to go to in your home and that you can still do your job. Listen, not everybody. Listen, I'm telling you, 
Not everybody can do their profession, their career, uh, their job from their home. And praise God, thank God, God, I thank you that even in this time, even in this, even in the social distance, even in the things that we're going through, I can still do my job from home, and I can still get paid. If you're complaining that you have to homeschool your kids, just be thankful that you know what. Guess what? I have I, I have some children to homeschool. I have some children to teach. In other words, we have to cultivate a heart of thanksgiving, and it's it is not easy. It is not easy into an offensive society that we live a critical society that we live, an ungrateful society in which we live. I mean, when you, listen, I'm telling you, when you look at this issue of complaining, uh, it can destroy everything about you. And when you have that temptation to complain, man, find something to be thankful for. See, Paul, and just want, I just want to back up and I want to help you. Paul did not act like nothing was wrong. Paul had some people that he could express his emotions to, he could express his heart to, he could express his disappointment to. I mean, we just read it, right? But Paul, after expressing that with close friends or relationships around him, Paul moved on. And Paul moved on to praising. So it's healthy. It's healthy to admit, I have no peace of mind. It's healthy to admit, these are some of the strong headwinds that I'm facing. But we don't, as Christians, we don't Stay there. And sometimes we have to identify. Sometimes it takes talking with other people. Sometimes we have to identify what the headwinds are, what the stress points are, what the difficulty are, and then guess what? We move on and we begin praising God. The third thing is this. If you're going to find peace in your life, understand God has a purpose for your life. Understand, listen, even facing headwinds, we have to understand God has a purpose for our life. This is what helped Paul, verse 14. But thanks be to God who is in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So he says, I have a purpose. I have a purpose to spread the gospel. I have the purpose to win people to Christ. I have the purpose to, to do ministry in this, in this, in this season. And we have, we have to know, we have to have that feeling that guess what? Our life has purpose. Our life has, has meaning. Paul came to the place he understood his life mattered to God. And he compared this. It's just so fascinating. He compared the Christian life to a, to a, to a, 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 Roman, uh, a Roman victory parade of a conquering general. It's like a, a ticker tape parade given to honor, a, you know, when, when a football team uh, wins the, 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 the Super Bowl, when a baseball team uh, wins the World Series, when, a, when an NBA team uh, wins a championship, um, you, you, you get it, right? That you put that team and they, they go down Main Street and it's like this ticker tape parade and there's this victory celebration. And Paul is saying, guess what? Watch this. As believers, we are a part of a victory parade that our Heavenly Father has won. We win. And we're glorifying him in his victory, the way that we carry our lives, the way that we live, verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ. That's what he's talking about. To God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, the fragrance from death to death. To the other, the fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things. This is a crucial task for Christians to understand that, that we are to be the testimony of Christ. And to some, to other believers, the way we live our life, the way we talk, it's the aroma of life. But to others, non-believers, it's the aroma of death. I mean, 
have you ever noticed, I mean, he, he begins talking about this fragrance. He begins talking about this, this smell because many times in the, in the ticker tape parades, especially for a Roman conquering general, they would burn incense. There was a special smell when they did that. And Paul is, 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 is relating the parade to that. And, and he's talking about this smell. Have you ever noticed where people respond differently to different smells? For instance, uh, I love the smell of, fry, of chicken frying. Uh, Karen, uh, she, not so much. She doesn't like that smell. Uh, in, a, in a Roman triumph, in a Roman parade, they would burn incense, and it was a smell. It reminded them the smell of celebration. It reminded them the smell of life. It reminded them the smell of victorious army. But, but to the ones that were chained captives marching into the arena in that parade, it was, it was a stench of death. See, that smell meant something differently to them. In the same way, Paul is, is, is saying that Christians living in the world, we're a, we're a sweet smell to believers. We're a sweet smell to those that are being saved, but, but we're, we're a stench to those who are lost. We're a stench to those who do not know him. In other words, genuine Christians, I mean, we love having Christians around because it's a reminder of salvation. It's a it's a reminder of him. It's like this community, but, but non-believers sometimes hate being around dedicated Christians because it, it reminds them of their sin. It reminds them of their responsibility. To some, it's the smell of death. To others, it's the fragrance, the smell of, of life. And sometimes, and we know this, especially in the headwinds we're facing, sometimes our standards annoy the world. It's easier for some to sin if they believe everybody else is doing it. But if there's Christians who take a stand for what is right, many times the Christian is looked upon like they're the problem. And, and, I, and I don't really like the smell of smoke, but that smell might save my life if it motivates me to run from the fire. And you and I need to know this is what Paul is saying. You and I need to know how important our testimony is that we can cause people to run away from the fire when they smell smoke to, to life. And Paul says that's what gives life meaning and peace, is when you have a sense of meaning. And Paul is saying the gospel is spreading. See, I, I learned early on in, in COVID and in the transition, and because it was like wearing me out at one point, it's not my job to try to argue with people whether COVID is real or whether COVID is not real whether masks work or whether masks don't work. Uh, it's not my job to argue who we need in the, in the White House or anything like that. It is my job to spread the gospel. It is my job to lead people to Christ. It is my job to lead people to worship him and to live out their testimony in front of friends and families. It is my job to help people love their neighbor well. And I am so thankful for Fellowship of the Rockies because so, so many of you have set aside your personal preference, your personal beliefs about masks and about whether COVID's real or COVID's not real. And when you've walked in these doors to, to, to worship, regardless of your personal preference, you put on a mask 
You put on a mask to love your neighbor well. You put on a mask so that, so that the, someone with underlying health issues, the elderly, the, the marginalized, could feel safe coming in here in worship because you have put, listen, you have put their interest over your interest. I am so thankful for Fellowship of the Rockies. I am so thankful for the way in which you worship. The fourth and the last thing is this. If you want to find peace in your life, remember there is no peace if there is constant deception within you. There is no peace if there's constant deception within you. Verse 17, he goes, For we are, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. Now Paul is being bold and says, Guess what? We are commissioned by God. We are called by God. We have a purpose. We're a light in a dark world. And he says, we're not like peddlers. And that was an interesting word in the Greek. Peddlers were, were these men that were dishonest. It was used in their culture, their time, of a wine merchant would take their wine and they would dilute their wine with water. And Paul is saying, you know what? We're not like those peddlers. We don't mix the pure truth of the word of God with, with human philosophy, with a political agenda. We just preach the pure word of God. We're, we're not going to water it down. We're not going to water it down for our personal advantage. We're, we're not going to water it down to pad our, uh, our pockets. We're, gonna, we're not like these kinds of peddlers in Paul's day that were dishonest as well as some of the peddlers in our day that are dishonest. And so the question is, is for you and for me, what are your motives of following Christ? What are your motives when you face these headwinds of following him? Why do you th say the things you say? Why do you sing the songs you sing? Why do you come to church to worship him, to serve, or to be served? And Paul says, we, listen, we don't, we don't peddle the word of God for our profit. Our motives are pure. There's no peace in anyone's life if there's constant deception within you because you're going to wonder, when are they going to find me out? When, they, when are they going to discover I am not who I say I am? When the light shines through. And I want to, I want to urge you to be honest. I want to urge you to refuse to fake it. I want you to be upfront. I want you to be transparent. I want you to be real. That's what this world needs. They need to see believers. They need to see churches rise up. And say, we're going to live our testimony out in front of a world when we face a headwind. And in, in the Bible, the word peace is used like over 200 times. And it's always linked. It's just so fascinating to me. Peace is normally, the majority of the time, always linked when it's used in the scripture is to righteousness, to right living. Peace only comes when there's no deception within you. Not a life of perfection, but a life of right living, of following him. If there's no righteousness in your motive, there's going to be no peace of mind. That's what Paul is saying. Never before in our time do we need to be reminded about where our help comes from, where our peace comes from. I've told you Psalm 121 has become for me like a, a COVID prayer. 
It's a, it's a prayer that I prayed. It's a, it's a psalm that, that Karen has memorized. It's a psalm that I'm working to memorize right now because it, it brings me comfort. And so may, maybe this weekend, maybe, maybe there's a decision that God has for you that you need to make. Whether it's just to accept him and ask him to come in your life, forgive you of your sins, give you the gift of eternal life. If you'd like to talk with one of, the, one of us and you're watching this, 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 this service live, you can click on the prayer button, the live prayer button, and a prayer partner will meet you in a virtual prayer room. If you're watching this on, de- on demand, you can, still, you can still click that button, prayer, and a, and a pastor will contact you. You can click, um, you can click connection card. And uh, you can fill that out and give us your information, and we would love to get with you. But I, I, I just want to close. And I just want to pray over you. I want to pray for you. And I want to use Psalm 121 as we close our time together. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're watching this at home, uh, you may want to bow your heads. You may want to close your eyes. And you may just want to receive this, 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 uh, this moment. And here's what Psalm 121 says. He said, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? Maybe you just need to be reminded. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he, keeps, he, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord, this is a promise, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that we can trust you. And Father, we thank you, that, thank you that we can find peace even when circumstances are not perfect, even when we're facing strong headwinds, for that's when you deepen us, that's when you strengthen us, because we have to flesh out why are we following you. It is in those times that we learn that we can trust you. It is in those times that we learn that, guess what? Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And your promises are always yes. And your promises are always true. And you're faithful. And we thank you for your faithfulness. And Father, we ask that you bless those who are watching. You bless them. You bless their families. You protect them. Father, would you give them peace? For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. Again, if you've made a decision of any kind, if you need us, reach out to us. Fill out the connection card. Click the live prayer button. Call us, 719-544-5000. Email us. Email us at fellowshiptherockies.org, and we will respond to you. We will minister to you. God bless you. May you have a great day.